We're going to start the message with a video this morning. I'll tell the story. I remember it like it was yesterday. You don't even know what you had for lunch yesterday. I do, too. I had... Why don't you tell the story? All right, I'll tell the story. Oh, there I hate the were. way you tell the story. I'll tell the story. So there we were. It was the worst weekend of our life. Jesus had been crucified. He'd been placed in the tomb. And we were all in the upper room, and we were very, very scared. Oh, very scared and very nervous. Nervous as a pair of long-tailed cats in a room full of rockers. Now, just to clarify, there were no cats and there were no rocking chairs. I was speaking metaphorically. Well, you need to be more clear. I, I need you to be more clear. So anyway, it was chaos inside and then there was chaos outside. And it was Mary and she was off in the distance and she was yelling frantically. Yes, and then the doors bust open and she's shouting at the top of her lungs, he's alive, he's alive. Now Mary, sweet Mary, uh, salt of the earth. Salt of the earth, that woman. But sometimes she gets well, she just gets a little confused. Oh, to say the least. I remember I said to you, I bet she went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> it was just such chaos, and so we decided that we'd go back to our homes. Right. Yeah. So we started back home. It's about a seven-mile walk on the road to Emmaus. And we're walking and talking. Talking and walking. Then all of a sudden, this man comes up behind us. Yes, I remember. He looked at us and he said, um, he said, why the long faces? And I looked at him and I said, that's just how we're made. We can't help it. And if you do not like it... The man was speaking metaphorically. Well, I needed him just to be clear. He wasn't clear. We said to him... Uh, oh, well, I said to him, I said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard just what has happened? Right, and I said yeah. to him, uh, Jesus had been crucified, we placed him in the tomb, now we can't find his body. And I went on to say we were just horribly disappointed because we thought Jesus was the one. And he says, uh, why are your head's so thick? Why, why are your hearts so slow? And I looked at him right in the eye and I said, we're just getting older. We cannot help it. There's nothing we the can... The man was speaking metaphorically. I just needed him to be clear. Then he looked at us and he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and all through the prophets and explain to us how the scriptures said this would happen to the Messiah. It was wonderful. <laughs> it was amazing. We came to a fork in the road. Just to be clear, it wasn't a literal fork. We came to a spot where the road divided and I invited him to join us for dinner. I think he said yes because I told him my wife was making a cobbler. She makes a great cobbler. That woman can cobble. So we get here and we sit down for dinner. And he blessed the meal and he broke the bread. And then I looked at you. And I looked at you. And we knew our hearts 
They were burning inside of us. We were sitting with the Messiah. We, we were sitting at the table with the risen Savior. And then both of us, we, um, we turned to face him, and um, he was gone. I never get tired of telling that story. (laughs) I may not remember what I had for lunch, but I'll never forget that story. Tell that story. Well, aren't you a regular Bobby Fisher? (laughs) King me. Not going to king you. King me. Not going to king you. Not king me. No king. That's a good story. I'm not going to tell that story. Add that one to your book. That's a good story. What, the story of an old man who cheats at checkers to feel better about himself. You're not clarifying that at all. I just won. Looking right there. That's oh, a yeah. winner right there. That's a good story. That oh. would be the title of the book. The winner. You are a winner. I am a winner. Look I'm at... speaking metaphorically. Well, why don't you keep you with us? I never get tired of telling that story. And, of course, the story doesn't end there. You can uh, read what happened next in the chapter, chapter 24 of Luke. And the disciples got up, and they were absolutely overwhelmed with amazement and wonder, and they couldn't keep what they had experienced to themselves, and they headed back to Jerusalem and uh, likely made part of that trip in the dark. But when they came flying into the room where the apostles and others were gathered, and they began to tell the story of what uh, had happened to them before they could get a word out of their mouths. The disciples welcomed them with, it's true, he's risen, he has appeared to Peter. And when they uh, uh, began to tell their story, before they could even get to the end of their story, Jesus appeared and stood there among them. And now no one had to wonder if what the others had seen was true They were seeing Jesus themselves. And Luke says that they were a little more than surprised at his presence. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, uh, he asked them out of desperation, well, do you have anything here for me to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Jesus wanted them to believe that he was really alive, that the tomb wasn't just empty, no one stole his body, that he wasn't an apparition, they weren't imagining this, he was alive. And he wanted them to get beyond doubt to faith, to move from unbelief to belief. And he gave them convincing evidence to help them do that. This morning I want to take that story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and talking about an important journey that Jesus' resurrection compels us to take. 
Um, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they set out on a journey. They thought that they were making a trip from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus, and it turned out to be a trip from unbelief to belief. And it's a journey that all of Jesus' inner circle of followers would make that day as they tried to get their minds around what had happened and what it meant for their lives. And metaphorically speaking, it's a journey that we are all faced with. Throughout our lives, Jesus is revealing himself to us along the road. He is showing us his kindness. Uh, he's caring for us, blessing us in many ways. God's, God puts people into our lives and opportunities to hear the story of Jesus and the story of what he's done for us on the cross, what his resurrection means for us. He invites us to place ourselves in the story, not, not to see it as a story of some events that happened hundreds of years ago that has nothing to do with us, but to put ourselves in the story and, and see how it impacts and changes lives today as we move from unbelief to belief. And the takeaway from today's message that's printed there in your message notes is the most important journey that we can make in life is the journey from unbelief to belief from not knowing to knowing, from uncertainty to certainty, from not understanding to understanding. And my own story wasn't one that of disbelief. I believed there was a God. I just thought he was kind of mean. And I had to go from that not knowing that God loved me to, to knowing his love, to not understanding that Jesus had died for me, to understanding that what Jesus did on the cross was for me, because he loved me. And God wants us to move from doubt to faith. It's the most important journey that we'll ever make. And Jesus' death and his resurrection changes everything. And some of you have experienced that change in your life. And um, for you, he's transformed your life in such a way that you never get tired of telling that story. There may be others of you here who are exploring faith. You have questions or doubts that keep getting in the way of faith. And my prayer is that God will nudge those of you who are stuck in unbelief to seek out the answers, to get past the doubts and experience the life that can't be undone by death. But this message isn't just to nudge or inspire those who haven't put their faith in Christ. It's for all of us. See, most of us have areas of our life where we're still like living as unbelievers in that area. The Bible says, uh, for example, and, and in some of these examples, uh, I'm talking to myself too, but um, the Bible says we're to forgive others and that if we don't forgive the wrongs of others, God will not forgive our sins. And yet, we're not sure we believe that, so we cling to unforgiveness. Others may be leaving, living in unbelief when it comes to accepting God's forgiveness for some of your own past sins. You know that the scripture says that um, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And you, think, and you believe that he's forgiven some of your past sins, but you're ashamed of that one something that is just too big for God to forgive. And so you go on in unbelief about that. Others would say, I believe God answers prayer, but the amount of time spent in praying and the earnestness of your prayer life looks more like that of an unbeliever. And I think Herb's going to talk a little more about that next week as he talks about prayer. 
Or how about worship? It's one thing to say that you believe in God, but is this God that you believe in worthy of worship? And does your weekly schedule look more like an unbeliever than someone who's had an encounter with the risen Savior? And, and I could go on, but uh, here's my question, and it's something that I'm continually looking at in my own life, is if someone observed your life, would they be able to tell what you believe by the way that you live? If someone observed your life, would they be able to tell what you believe by the way that you live? Can others tell that you're a follower of Christ by the choices you make, by the uses of your resources, by your schedule, your values, the way that you treat other people? Why are we so slow to believe? Not just believing in Jesus, putting our faith in him for the first time, but continually deciding to believe that God's word is true. Uh, the Christian walk is a journey, and we're continually being invited to, to go from unbelief to belief, from not knowing to knowing, from uncertainty to certainty, from not understanding to understanding in many different areas of our life. Our life in Christ is one of discovery and hope. Uh, he calls us further along to, to see just how alive and how good he is. He calls us to growth and movement and greater faith. So how do we do that? In your message notes, I'm going to lift up three keys to moving from unbelief to belief, from doubt to faith. And the first is to search out answers to overcome your doubts. You know, if you have questions or doubts that are keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to get answers for those questions. Uh, and the Bible is clear that God gives us multiple reasons to believe. Uh, chapter 1 in the book of Romans, uh, he talks about um, even if we've never verbally heard the good news, that we have reason to believe. Romans 1.20 says, Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. And, you know, Jesus performed many miracles and signs and wonders when he was on the earth, and the reason he did that is he wanted people to believe. He wanted to give them evidence that he was who he said he was. And John, at the very end of his gospel, explained why he had written the gospel and why he had recorded the miracles that he did in there. And he says in John 20, 30, 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what, that's what John's goal was. That's what God wants for you. Jesus came to give you life, a good life, an abundant life. And, and no one wants you to get the answers more than he does. And I've listed some steps that you can take to overcome doubt in your message notes. And um, each one of these could be a sermon in itself. So we're just going to briefly touch on them. But the first is consider the evidence for faith. Uh, Jesus wanted his disciples to believe. He showed, did all these miracles, these signs, but he knew it was going to be difficult for them to get their minds around the resurrection. And so before his death and resurrection, 
he told them. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to suffer. The religious leaders are going to have me put to death. I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. He, he told them that ahead. And in John 13, 19, we see one of the reasons that he did that. He says, I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. And he, he gave them evidence for believing. And, you know, I don't have time to go into great depth to the, um, all of this, but there are tons of books out there that you can read. Um, people who set out to disprove Jesus' death and resurrection, you know, atheists that were lawyers or journalists or whatever, and only to find there's so much evidence that they came to faith in Christ. One of those books is this um, book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He's a, a journalist, and his wife started going to church and wanted him to go with her, and so he just decided he was going to prove to her we're wasting our time on Sundays. And he set out to use his investigative um, skills as a journalist to prove that Jesus didn't exist, that his, all this was a myth. And, and he came to faith in Christ through that. And he, he wrote this book. He's written many others. And, and there are so many other books. And if you're not a reader, watch the movies like God's Not Dead or God's Not Dead 2. And even though those movies are fictional the producers are using those movies as a vehicle to communicate real facts and arguments for faith we aren't asked to make a blind leap of faith and god promises in jeremiah 29:13 if you look for me wholeheartedly you will find me <clears throat> and there's always an element of faith um, but we have reason to believe then uh, the second thing to consider is to search the historical documents. And, um, you know, there's a great deal of evidence that the, that the Bible is a historical document. It's, it's uh, uh, useful for your search. But for those of you who want something beyond Scripture, there's evidence of Jesus' existence, his death, and his resurrection in writings outside of the Bible at Jesus' time. Um, Josephus was a Jewish historian that didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, yet he records his death and resurrection. Um, Tacitus, a Roman historian, talks about Jesus' crucifixion. And there, there are many others. But the greatest evidence comes from the pages of Scripture. So search the Scriptures. For example, in the Old Testament just like Jesus told them ahead of time what was going to happen so that they would believe. God gives 322 prophecies in the Old Testament that were messianic prophecies about this Messiah that was coming. And Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies. Um, do you know what the mathematical compound probability of 322 prophecies being fulfilled by one person in one lifetime is? It's very remote. It's 1 over 84 with 100 zeros behind it. So uh, only happens by divine intervention. And, you know, the religious leaders knew not only all these prophecies, they had them memorized. And yet they didn't recognize God's presence with them in Jesus Christ because their hearts were hardened by unbelief. And we can let unbelief blind us as well. God isn't afraid of investigation. 
Uh, his word is true. Uh, search it out. Seek, the, seek answers. If you have questions, if you have doubts that are keeping you from putting your faith in Christ, you owe it to yourself to investigate the evidence. Search the historical doc- documents. Pray and ask God to open the scriptures to you like he did to those two on the road to Emmaus. Um, Jesus loves you. He wants you to find the answers. He wants you to have life in him. Then the second key to moving from unbelief to belief is to take a step of faith and invite God to act in your life. You know, there's a difference between belief and faith, and it's called action. (laughs) Faith is acting on what you believe. And God invites us to act, to move from unbelief to belief, and then to take steps of faith. Uh, I saw this picture on Helen Hill's uh, Facebook page this last week. And the caption with it was along the lines. (laughs) Yeah, fork in the road. The caption was along the lines, you know, they often talked about but seldom photographed fork in the road. But, you know, uh, we come to those forks in the road in life. And not the kind in the photograph, but the kind where we have to decide which road we're going to take. And as Christians, we often face decisions that test our faith. Am I going to trust God's word and act on what God says is true? Or am I going to take the road of unbelief again? And to move from unbelief or doubt to belief uncertainty, we have to take these steps of faith. It's, it's then that God comes through and we're able to see uh, that he's, his word is truth, that he will uh, be there when we step out in faith and act on what we say that we believe. Then the third key uh, to moving from unbelief to belief is um, to help others overcome unbelief by sharing stories of God's activity in your life. One of the most powerful instruments God uses to help people move from unbelief to belief is stories. And, you know, we're called to be witnesses. Uh, That's what Jesus said to uh, the disciples right at the beginning. You'll be my witnesses, right? And witnesses, like Forrest was saying, um, tell their story of what they've seen. And it's a very moving and powerful thing to hear an ordinary person tell extraordinary things that God has done in them and through them. And it, it gives others hope that God can act in their lives and in their circumstances. For example, someone may be struggling with an addiction, and your story of recovery can help them believe God can help them. Or you may have overcome depression or anxiety, and your story can help someone have hope. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. And if God is at work in your life, he, he wants you to tell others about it, and your story can help others to have the courage to overcome difficulties in their life. It, it may be that your story can help someone move from unbelief to belief, to putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I've been talking about God's um, calling us to pray more and to see more activity in our church uh, and in our lives. And along with that, um, I felt the prompting to find ways to include stories in our worship. So I want to invite you to look at the back of your connection card. First, 
response there is uh, to memorize our memory verse for today, John 3.16, which most of you probably have memorized. The second says, I'm going to seek answers for some of the questions that I have about belief in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, if I can help you in any way with that, if you've got science questions, Forrest is very much into the reading about evolution and science and creation and all that. He'd love to talk with you about those kinds of questions. Then the third says, I have a story about God's activity in my life that I'd be willing to share to build the faith of others. And and the topic that my story deals with, and then a place for you to write that. Maybe it's uh, about a salvation story. Maybe it's about healing and answer to prayer, how God brought you through something. But if you'll check that box and write it down, then as I am preparing sermons, and I'll contact you, and we'll, you know, maybe you don't want to share it in worship, but we can make a video. I can relay it in a message. But uh, so that we can begin to celebrate what God's doing in people's life and, and God can use your story. I want to close today with a reminder of the hope that's ours this Easter because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And invite you to move from unbelief to belief, from doubt to faith, from not knowing to knowing, to, uh, from uncertainty to certainty, in whatever area it is that you're limiting God in your life so that you can experience more of Jesus' resurrection power, more of his joy, and more of Jesus' life in your life. We're going to pray, and I I want to invite you, if you've never received the gift of life that Jesus died to give you, that, that if you're ready to do that, you would pray with me this morning. It's very simple, um, as simple as sorry, please, and thank you. I'm just going to um, pray for you and You're just basically saying, I'm sorry for going my own way. Please forgive my sins. Thank you for dying for me so that I could have life and I accept the gift of life that you give me. Would you pray with me?